from the Salvation Army National Headquarters, this is the Fight for Good Podcast. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fight for Good Podcast. I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel Tim Foley, and here with me remotely today is the assistant to the editorial director, Michelle Caceres. Good afternoon, Michelle. Good afternoon. You have a very special podcast today as you have had the opportunity to interview author and podcaster and foster mom, Amanda Carpenter. Now, Amanda was an advocate for the foster care system. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about her? Um, Just that when I had found her online, I was so moved by her story. Um, I think she's had, oh, you know what? I actually don't remember, but she's had a handful of kids um, to foster. And she still has great relationships with not only them, but their mothers or adoptive parents. Um, and I think that's very different um, and something that should happen more often is just that she continued that bond and that relationship um, with the children, even after they're placed in a new home. So besides being a foster mom, uh, Amanda is also an author. She's written a 30 day devotional book uh, titled space. Um, what, what, what's that, that book all about? Um, it came from actually a time in her life where she was, literally needed some space <laughs> and she needed to rebuild her relationship with God. And that, I think it just came out of really more of a passion project and turned into something really amazing and such a helpful tool for not just foster parents, but I think honestly, Christian mothers, I just think that sometimes they're very overworked and sometimes they just need that space to focus on themselves. And I think this book helps with that. Oftentimes, our ministry in the Salvation Army, we're dealing with people that kind of fall within the margins in society. And a lot of times there's children uh, in the foster care system that would kind of fit that category. So someone like Amanda, to me, is one of our unsung heroes. Why, why is Amanda's message important? I think that she is very educated with this and just some of the answers she gave, I really don't want to give away too much, but some of the answers she gave and she really talks about topics that people don't necessarily talk about. And she just puts it all. She's like, Nope, this is a problem and it'll never not be a problem if we don't talk about it. And I just thought, she, you know, I think she's very brave for openly saying these things and she's right. I mean, there are some things within the foster care system. It's not perfect. No, no sort of system really ever is. Um, but she knows that in order to fix these things, like they need to be talked about, they need to be brought up. So I think her message on that was just very clear and very informative. And especially if you don't know anything about the foster care system, I do not. So she really opened my eyes to a lot that I didn't know. We'll now give listen to Michelle's interview with author, podcaster, and foster mom, Amanda Carpenter. When I actually found you, um, you know, I kind of just Googled like top Christian bloggers, influencers, and you were one of the oh. first people to come up. Um, oh. And what I found really interesting is your workshop. Um, and the reason I found it interesting mm. is because I guess, like, I, I didn't fully get it. 
So, it, like, what exactly is your space workshop? Yeah, that's a great question. I wrote a 30-day devotional for women called Space about a, actually one year ago this month. Um, oh, wow. And when I released that devotional, it's called Space. It's an invitation to create sustainable rhythms of work, play, and rest. It was born out of a season in my life where I was so busy, so stressed out, exhausted, overwhelmed. Maybe on the outside I looked perfectly fine, but I was really struggling internally. And a lot of the things, I think this is the the little unique part of it for us as Christian women, is a lot of the things that we're doing and that we are busied by are considered really good things, right? We're serving at church. I was, you know, I am a foster mom. I had two little girls at the time and just all of these things that, of course, I was being applauded for and they're good things, but yet I felt like God was saying, I want you to quit all of it. Like, I want you to let go of all of it. So it felt really weird because I was like, wait, but the church and my my Christian friends and everyone in this world is kind of applauding these things that I just need to push through. And I almost started to believe the lie that perhaps we have to experience like pain and misery to really be following Jesus. And I realized through a lot of work with God between just, you know, myself and him alone, but that was not the truth. That was not the case at all. That was actually the enemy's way of distracting and really beating me down. And so through a series of, you know, just inner work that I did alone, out came this 30-day devotional where I had totally transformed my life, not not by my own doing, but truly with the Holy Spirit. I had learned how to say no. I learned that, you know, doing the, we, we cannot do the work of God to the point where we're killing the work of God in us, if that makes sense. Like, all these things that we do that are considered the work of God, we, we, can, we can't do them to the point where it kills the work of God in us. So if I'm showing up to serve on a Sunday and I have a terrible attitude and I'm just, I don't want to be there, I'm burnout. do you think Jesus really wants me there serving or would Jesus rather have me getting rest, going and being fed by sitting in through a sermon and, and leaving that opportunity for serving with preschoolers at the time uh, up to somebody else? Hmm. Did you have an idea early on of who God wanted you to be? I think so. Um, but I had to work through a lot of what I'd been told to believe about God and who I knew God to be. There was a big difference there, a big disconnect. My upbringing and what I had heard, I, I mean, I... I constantly was trying to change myself so that I would be the woman that I think I was told God needed me to be, which was very soft-spoken and tender and meek and mild and all these wonderful things. But that is just not me. I am just not that woman. And so I, for a long time, had to work through that. And but and really for myself, spend time in God's Word, spend time in prayer and being with Him to say, who is God? Because I think we, a lot of times, we have these good intentions with our children, but we kind of, we tell them and really mold them into, like, these people that we want them to be so badly. But I have to question, is it at the expense of them encountering God for themselves? And isn't that more beautiful for them to know that God loves them because they've experienced it for themselves rather than just being told or 
I know that could go, I could go on to a long tangent about that, but right. I think I did struggle with that a lot. And I think I'm a lot more clear on it now. That's a big struggle. I mean, the idea of uh, the laissez-faire attitude that a child or a young adult should find their own way is certainly a strong value at the same time. How do you balance that with uh, introducing them to the Lord? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm a big fan. I'll just say, like, we currently have three boys that live with us. We're foster parents, and right now we have three boys, 13, 9, and 6, and we go to church as a family, and we talk about Jesus, and we pray. Like, I actually just prayed with my boys on the way to school this morning. I pray out loud with them as we go to school, and I always ask them first if they're open to that. I try to keep it very, like, I don't want to push anything on them because I also know kids rebel when we when we force, you know, spoon feed things down, you know, to them. And so I think for me, though, I want to approach everything with curiosity. Like I'll ask our middle child, I call our kids by nicknames for their um, protection of their identity. So I'll just say, I ask Bear, our middle child, I'll say, Bear, you know, what do you think about God? Do you think God is with you at all times? Like, what do you think? And we just have like curious questions that we ask and that we process. And, you know, we teach them how Jesus lived and that that's our model for how we want to live and, you know, with forgiveness and grace and hanging out with the people that nobody else wanted to hang out with. And what does that look like? And so I think we try to, it is very much a part of our life and, and we don't like keep it from our kids. Um, but I think we're really cautious about our language and we really ask them questions and we love listening to what they have to say and what they think. And we don't say that they're wrong, even if in my mind, I'm like, Oh, I totally disagree. <laughs> so you were talking about your, your foster children. Can you kind of touch on how you became a foster parent? Um, you know, was it something that you felt God was pulling you towards? It's something you always wanted to do. Like how did that kind of come about? Yeah, so when I was seven years old, there was a pretty extreme domestic violence situation in my home with between my biological father and my stepmother, and I was removed from the home of a very temporary encounter with the foster care system, child welfare in general, but at seven years old, it was actually my birthday, so I've never forgotten, I've, I've never, I think it just honestly... I really, truly, 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 truly believe that at such a young age, God made it so clear to me that not every child has a safe and loving, healthy, stable environment to grow up in. And so as I grew older, I just, I think it was there for me. And by the time I was in high school and college, I knew that I was going to be a foster parent for those kids someday. It was very evident to me. I do I do fully believe it's a calling, and I, I felt God affirm that calling um, through mission trips and through um, classes that I took and st- things that I studied and people I encountered, and it was just always in my face, like it wouldn't ever go away, and it's a passion, and so when I met my now husband, it was at that point a non-negotiable. Like anyone I dated, I was like, just so you know, like this is going to be a part of my life, so I'd rather not continue dating if you know, you don't see yourself as a foster parent. It, it was absolutely like it's. it was just going to be a way that I lived my life. Yeah. Do you think um, even if you hadn't met your husband, was it something you were going to do by yourself? Absolutely, yes. It's amazing. And then, like, um, 
what do you think, you know, is the biggest lesson that you've learned from being a foster parent? Oh, man, I've learned so many lessons. I actually was just talking with my publisher about a potential we're, – we're, we're in the midst on a book right now that has nothing to do with foster care. I mean, I'm sure foster care will come up throughout it because it's just so deeply woven into my story. But we've been talking about a second book because there has just been so many things I've learned that I think would be applicable to many people, whether they ever encounter this work or not. And the lesson that stands out to me the most has been, and it's super complex, so I don't know if we'll have time to get into all of it today, but just white saviorism and between white saviorism and racial injustices and just what does it mean for me to do this work to actually be able to help families and children in need without hurting people in the process. Too often we enter foster care thinking we're going to take care of this sweet little baby or cute little kid and we don't really, we, we place judgment on the birth parents or it's really hard sometimes to work through our own stories that we've written about them instead of loving them the way Jesus would and having grace and mercy towards them and realizing that we are sinners just like them. We are no better than them. And so I think all of that has been the biggest lesson that I've learned is really how to foster the whole family and not just the cute kids. That's touching on quite a bit. So, um, is is your family uh, multiracial? Yes. Yep. My three children are black. So, all the children that my husband and I have had, these boys are numbers 13, 14, and 15. Or I said that wrong. 14, 15, and 16 That's for the number age. of kids we've had. And no, no, the number of kids we've had in our home. Oh. They are. Um, so we've had. So our current three boys, um, they are our 16th kids, if that makes sense, um, uh-huh. that we've had, and all of our children have been children of color, and some people would attribute that to us living in the city of Chicago, and people that have studied and done their research would know that it is because there is a disproportionate number of children of color in the system, and um, that's something that I'm really passionate about seeing change is I want no kid in the system, uh, but I also want women of color to receive treatment instead of a sentence. So right now, white women who, let's say, have a drug problem, for example, receive treatment while their kids are cared for. Black or brown women don't receive that same treatment. Oftentimes, they receive a sentence. And so there is undeniable racism in our system to this day that I encounter up close and personal. So it's like, now that I know it, I can't unsee it. I can't ignore it. Like, I have to do something. So that's a part of my work. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you're doing wonderful work in that, you know, the, the foster parents I know often struggle with the behavior patterns that are formed so very, very early in life. How do you cope with that? Yeah, trauma is real. And so I think, one, you have to remember that their behavior is not just, you know, them being this, like, naughty kid who knows better. One, they probably don't know better. Two, they're hurting inside. Trauma manifests itself in crazy ways. So what I do to cope is, one, I, I go to counseling. Um, we have our, our boys all have therapists that come in home, which is really nice. That's a perk of our agency. They provide therapy for all their kids. Um, and I cope, I, I go to trauma trainings and make sure that like I'm up to date on the latest 
things. I read books. There's a book that I recently read that I loved called The Awakened Family. Um, she has another one called Conscious Parenting, and I don't even believe it's spiritually or religiously affiliated with anything. Um, I think they wrote it on purpose for the mainstream based on some language that I read in it. But the techniques that she gives, this this doctor who wrote it, I really have appreciated. She really puts the whole, like, she kind of flips everything I thought about parenting upside down. And so basically everything your child does, instead of being like, oh, why are they doing that? This is so frustrating. It's really like, why is this making me angry? And like kind of like using them as a mirror to work on myself because that's all we can do, right? I can't control anybody but me. And so I know that sounds a little like hippie or just really out there, but it's been really helpful for me. And it's been really cool to see with all of our kids, including our three boys that we currently have, the more we are grace-giving and soft and gentle and loving, even though sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm being too easy on them, the, the more I actually see the results that I want, which is the desired behavior and the attachment that's healthy. And so those are just some of the ways that we cope and what we've been learning in that area of our life. Um, so what would be, like, your biggest advice to give people who are also considering to become foster parents? Yeah, my biggest advice would be make sure you're fully informed. Make sure you know what you're stepping into because I think, again, going back to that whole like helping, not hurting concept that I mentioned earlier, I would hate for someone to kind of jump in naive and, and unaware and then end up hurting the child or that family even more in the process, whether that's like the first sign of a really bad behavior being like, I can't do this, I quit, and then that child has to bounce to a new home. Like every... We call it bouncing around. Like every time these kids have to bounce around, it's a, it's a really big trauma. And so I think being really fully aware is huge. I also think if you are married, if you have a spouse or a partner or a roommate that you're doing this work with, making sure you're united in it because I think there's nothing worse than entering into anything such as this not fully united. Um, and I would also just say pray about it because there are a lot of ways to be an advocate for life after birth. Foster care is just one of those ways. And um, whether you're in a season where you feel called to actually bring kids into your home and foster, or maybe you're going to become a respite provider, or you're going to partner with families in your neighborhood, your area who do foster. Like There are just so many ways to play a part that I, I fully embrace friends and people that I meet along this journey who say, for now, or maybe even for always, we're not in a place where we feel like fostering is right for us, but here's how we're going to partner. So I just think people need to realize, too, there are lots of ways to get involved. It's not just fully bringing a kid into your home and, like, being in the midst of this work. Yeah. And you mentioned, you said, like, um, another great piece of advice is to kind of pray on it. Mm-hmm. What about, like, during, like, the low points of foster, like, when you're being a foster parent? Um you know, I know you've been doing this for a while, but in the beginning, was there any, like, points where even you felt like you couldn't do this? And then how did, yeah. you know, God kind of help you, um, you know, change your mind? Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely want to just speak to that, that I have felt so incapable, so inadequate, so frustrated, um, just want to quit numerous times. And we have taken breaks between placements, so... um we, we have had time off where we've had no kids with us. And that's a good time of healing for us to prepare for that next child. But I would say that for me, like, in everything I do, my relationship with God is 
is necessary. It's, um, <laughs> I, I think that for me, it's right now it's the daily practice of in the morning when my boys go to school, like spending just even a few minutes right before we got on this call, I spent a few minutes just reading in my Bible, journaling, praying, just kind of getting centered. I have to let go of things that happen, things that the kids say or do. I have to prepare my heart for what's coming. And I just think for me, like I have found working out (laughs) and prayer and time with God to be two of the most like proactive measures I can take when it comes against, like when it comes to uh, fighting against like the enemy and like the lies that I feel like the enemy feeds us or or just my own selfish desires and my own sin I think it's what leads me to feel convicted a lot of times there have been nights where I go back into our boys room after putting them to bed and I'm like hey guys are you still awake and they're like yeah and I'm like I need I miss Amanda needs to apologize I feel like I was really um short with you and short-tempered and not patient tonight and I just want to ask for your forgiveness will you forgive me I've done this a couple of times and it's crazy because these are kids who have never had anyone talk to them like this they've never experienced this and to me kind of to circle back to what we were talking about earlier, I think that's how we teach them about Jesus. I think that's how we teach them about the love of God is by putting it all into practice ourselves. And so they see me spend time with God, um, whether it's like, I'm going to pray with you on the way to school, or I'm going to read my Bible right now, or like I said, just modeling, asking for forgiveness and admitting when we're wrong. I really appreciate you speaking with us. You have a lot to say. There's a lot of material here that we can work with and expand upon. But um, yeah. I was wondering, first, uh, what, in general, what advice would you give parents today, given that parents are, as you've experienced, stressed, pressured, you know, mm. caught on this achievement cycle with their children and seeing children yeah. as extensions of themselves, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, what what support network do you have and how has the church helped you in your, in your being a foster parent? Yeah. So I'll answer your first question. I think this goes for parents and people who aren't parents. This goes for single, this goes for married, this goes for anyone, any age, but, but truly I think it happens when we're in our twenties and thirties is, is when it's super vital. Do the work, do the inner work, seek feedback, Find either a mentor or a counselor or a trusted friend who's a little wiser and older and more experienced, which is basically the same as a mentor. But, you know, find someone to hold up a mirror for you and to reflect back things about you, to to both pour into you and say, these are the gifts I see in you. These are, you know, the wonderful things. These are some areas that, you know, these are some cycles or some patterns. This is this is your shadow side or your sin that you're tempted by, right? There, there's so much we could unpack there, but I would say do the work, become aware, take ownership and transform, take steps forward. Don't live stagnant. Don't live day after day, not evolving. Um, I think that makes us better parents. I think that makes us better people. I think it makes us better believers and followers of Jesus. And I really, truly think how it impacts our parenting is when we're doing our work, it's similar to that book that I referenced earlier. Instead of viewing our kids, their behavior or their decisions as as things we can control, it it helps us to say, what does this mean for me? It helps us to, to just shift everything and to bring it back to, I can only control myself. I can only work on myself. And in turn, it impacts everyone else around us. It's a ripple effect in such a beautiful way. And so 
that that's always my advice for anyone is do your work. Are you doing your work? Are you and and I cover that a lot in the space devotional and in the workshop. You know, I used to check out. I was so busy that at the end of the day, I just wanted to numb out. I just want to watch Netflix. I want to scroll. I want to do whatever. Instead, I actually need to use my space well. And what little space I have, I need to check in. I need to reflect. I need to focus on um, ways that I can serve others and, and use my space well. So I. I it's so layered. It's so deep, but I, I'm so passionate about it, and so I'm so glad you asked. And to answer your your other question about the church, I have my husband and I have in a, a phenomenal community here in Chicago because of our church. We attend Full City Church in the West Loop. I used to work full time there. I no longer work for them um, as I've gone off to do all of this stuff on my own. But we, how they've partnered is both when I worked there, they were the most flexible and understanding if one of my kids was sick and I had to leave work, you know, and I think they're like that with everyone on staff who has kids, but I feel like they, unlike the rest of society that doesn't view foster parenting as equivalent to traditional parenting, our church did. And in fact, they really rallied around us. You know, we had never been parents before, which is sort of a unique angle because a lot of foster parents foster after they're done having biological children. And instead, we had never had a child, never been pregnant, and we, you know, plopped some kids in our lives, and then that just kept repeating over these last few years. We, you know, we didn't have anything, and we didn't have showers and things like that. And so our church really rallied to, you know, people would donate clothes. We got, like, a bed. You know, people would just be like, we are happy to rally around you. And and then most recently with our three boys, when they all came into our care and everything was shifting in some really big ways and we knew that they weren't going to be a short-term case, they're, they're with us pretty much for the long haul, whatever that even means, um, our church also created a meal train to help us out, just like you would someone who has a newborn baby. And so I think that's been powerful, that level of community and seeing the church get outside the walls to be the church and the hands and the feet that's what it's all about and they've done that that was amanda carpenter to read michelle's full interview with amanda check out www.thewarcry.org well that's going to end this episode of the fight for good podcast Be sure to subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to your podcasts and tell a friend. We like to get the word out that Fight for Good is just that. We're fighting for good in the world, and we encourage you uh, to spread the word about these podcasts and the people that we're interviewing and talking to. And don't forget to follow The War Cry and Peer Magazine on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Until next time, this has been the Fight for Good podcast. God bless you, and bye for now. Subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts.